There are some franchises that can grow so rapidly, it's almost unbelievable, but then you meet the founder and you get it. Join me as I talk with Bennett Maxwell, the founder of Dirty Dough, the cookie shop, in this edition of Franchise You. Welcome to the Franchise You podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. And welcome to another episode of Franchise You. With me today, I have Bennett Maxwell, and Bennett is the founder of Dirty Dough. Welcome, Bennett. I'm so glad you're here with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So you are the founder of Dirty Dough, and by looking at your resume, I would call you a serial entrepreneur because you founded and you still own a real estate company. And I also read that you co-founded a solar business before that and such diverse businesses. I can't wait to get into that. But you also believe and demonstrate that giving back to communities is very important. So let's talk a little bit about you and the career you've had so far. So you've done a lot of things in the past 10 years. Ever since you left school, you also have had some sales roles. You've done some teaching and now you own a very up-and-coming franchise. Tell us a few highlights of your career, please. All right. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's awesome. <laughs> it's that entrepreneur spirit, you know, like what's the next yes. thing? This is actually the longest I've been in a business. It's been yeah, about two and a half years, about two years that I've been like full-time into it. And I haven't gotten bored yet. So that's a good sign. It's stressful mm -hmm. enough that it's keeping me engaged. Um, I got started kind of going my, my first real job out of high school. It was selling Cutco knives. Which I have was, those. <laughs> okay. It was it was great to, you know, hey, you're 18 years old, yeah. go sell knives for two grand. And I'm like, who <laughs> is going to buy these? But you present it to people and you also like a good takeaway from that one, it was all referral based. So you, you talk to somebody, you present to them and it was very soft. It's like, hey, I get paid either way. You don't have to buy anything. Correct. And, but it, it was that I got paid commissions or... 15 bucks an hour, whatever it was, whatever was higher. So I was like, I'll do the presentation anyway. I'm not going to sell any of these things. And then I started selling them. And I built up some confidence. I was like, oh, wow, just because I don't have money to buy $2,000 knives doesn't mean somebody else does it if I present correctly. And at the end of the presentation, it's who do you know that would also be willing to listen to a presentation? And then they that's list, right. you know, you're listing names and then it's, okay, call them right now. So that's where the pressure came in. <laughs> like, get me some appointments. But that, really got me into like, a, I guess, a confidence level of communicating with people effectively and then turning one lead into 10 leads and then those 10 leads to 100 leads. Um, so that really built up some confidence. I served a two-year uh, Mormon mission when I was knocking doors selling Jesus um, for free. So then when I came home, there's a lot of door-to-door -door companies in Utah that they said, we'll pay you if you go knock doors. So I was like, sweet. So I did some pest control door to door and I found that I really loved sales. Ah. Uh, I, I stopped going to school at that time and dove right into the sales. And I said, I want to be a professional salesperson rather than just kind of do it as a side hustle. And it was great money. You can make a few hundred grand in a matter of a few months with just knocking doors, kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So transitioned again, I, I did pest control for basically... A four month summer and a two month summer. And then I did satellite for a four month summer. Then I did security systems for a four month summer. Then I did solar for a four month summer. And then I, and I started a solar company, co founded it with my brother. Mm -hmm. So it was all 1099 commission sales 
So you're kind of an entrepreneur in the fact that you don't sell, you don't get paid. You don't right. recruit people. And even if you do recruit people, if you don't train them effectively and they don't sell, you don't get paid. It's all performance-based. So it kind of got me in that, you know, kind of eat what you kill. So when it came time to start a company, I was used to that. Like, oh, if we don't sell, if we're not profitable, if we don't train well, we're not making money. And that was a really good uh, kind of lead. Real estate is something I just have done on the side, uh, just owning some properties and managing. Um, I have somebody out of the Philippines that actually does a really good job just managing the property. So very passive. And then, yeah, it kind of led me to to Dirty Dough. So, okay. You've had a career, you have had a lifetime career in 10 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have. You have. And so now you've started Dirty Dough, which I can't wait till we start talking about that. But I want to ask you this question. Why did you become a franchisor instead of becoming a franchisee of an established brand? Um, I, I didn't even, two years ago, I don't even, I can't tell you the difference between a franchisee and a franchisor. Gotcha. So I kind of just fell in my lap. I saw Crumble doing really well. I saw another cookie company called Chip doing really well. They had it franchised. Crumble franchised first, even though Chip was around, Crumble started just exploding. So um, I'm like, man, maybe I should buy a franchise. I found out that it was owner operated only. And that wasn't attractive to me. I kind of looked at that as buying my own job because it was like, you're going to make less money than you're making now. And you have to be a baker for 60 hours a week and you have to work the full year rather than four months. And I'm like, ah, don't really want that. And uh, I know my title's the founder, but that's a half truth. Maybe um, it was a buddy of mine that started Dirty Dough. He posted on Facebook. I want an investor to go from selling cookies out of my apartment to a storefront. So oh. I invested in it and then I bought it from him um, and I franchised it. So he said, I'm looking to sell the business. And I said, why don't you just franchise it to me? And he said, I just don't want to be a part of it. And I said, how much are you selling it for? And then I'm like, I'll buy it <laughs> without even knowing anything about the business. I kind of just jumped on in there and I thought, uh, let's let's franchise it and see if we can become a national brand. And you're on your way. You also personally believe, I read that you believe in giving back to communities and you've done a lot of that with providing support for mental health, particularly with young women. Would you please tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was... Um, one, I have two daughters and a son. So I have, uh, it's, I'm 30 years old, but I already got my three kids. <laughs> when my daughter was two and my other daughter was a newborn, so about four years ago, I just saw some some statistics on a podcast showing that the hospitalization due to self-harm rate has gone up 200% in girls, nine to 14 was the age range mm -hmm. uh, from 2010 to 2015. And why those dates? Because 2010, nobody had social media, right? Facebook was just becoming popular, especially not young kids. 2015, most of them had it. Mm -hmm. And what do you do as a dad? Like, well, I don't even know what mental health is. You know, I didn't at the time. So it kind of just scared me. And it's like, what do I do? I need to understand it in order to, to help my daughters and maybe other people that also don't know what to do. When I sold my solar company, I was putting my family aside, you know, and my health aside and everything aside because business, business, success, money, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I told myself I was going to kind of relax a little bit when I had a million dollar net worth and I had these residuals, blah, blah, blah. Sold the solar company about two years ago and I had all of that. So I'm like, cool, I can relax. Well, I didn't relax. Mm -hmm. Two weeks went by and I'm working nights and weekends. So I kind of had to do my own mental health journey to see what am I about? Why am I working so hard? What's the point of this? 
And uh, that's when I really became, it became more personal to me. Mm. And I kind of did a, a midlife crisis at age 28, you know, what's important to me. And I found that it wasn't any amount of money or residual or any of that. It doesn't, you know, your lifestyle changes, but happiness levels typically don't. Um, so did some soul searching, came out with uh, our mission statement, which is the company's mission statement, my personal mission statement, which is all about finding joy and fulfillment despite life's dirtiness. So yeah. don't wait for life to be perfect to have the joy and fulfillment. And then how do you do that? I kind of uh, broke it down to two pillars. One, if you want more joy and fulfillment, it comes down to mental health, mentality, mindset, whatever you want to call it. And then two, what's helped me is empowerment, entrepreneurship. So how do I help other people do that? And that's kind of what led me to right now. We have a nonprofit that every franchise we open, we will fund a mental health wellness center in a K through 12 school to give back to the community and educate kids on what emotions are, how to identify those, breathing exercises, guided meditation, and all these things that I use pretty much on a day-to-day basis now that I didn't when I was in high school or junior high. Oh, Bennett, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I have to say, you're so right. You get to a point where it's not about the money anymore. There's so many other things to look at. So that is incredible. But the last part about you is that you're a member of the Forbes Council. What does that mean? Um, I don't know. It sounds great. Something to do with a business, something. I joined some mastermind. I mean, I'm just because I'm completely honest on everything. And, and this is what it means. They say, you know, it's all about the status and building reputation on this and that. So you need to be on Forbes Council because it sounds cool. And to get on Forbes Council, it's this exclusive club, yada, yada. You have to have a business and pay them some money. So I did that. I mean, they, they check financials of your business. You know, you have to be doing a few million a year and, and that. Um, but I haven't done a ton, but it did... <laughs> It did establish some credibility and then that rolls to the next thing. And then maybe, you know, I've been on like a CNBC and good morning America and they referenced that. So maybe that helped. And now I can be on wall street journal again, because they see that I was on Forbes and, you know, I don't know, kind of just chain, chain reaction there. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks for being so transparent with that. So let's move on and talk about dirty dough. So dirty dough sells amazing cookies. Your website proclaims life is sweet. Life gets messy. It's better with cookies. I don't know who can disagree with that, but today you have 33 locations open. I counted those on your website and you have a whopping 63 scheduled to open. And I also hear that you have even more in the pipeline. So you told us how you bought the company, but how have you driven such explosive growth? So when I purchased the company, it was about two and a half years ago, and it was high labor. Everything was done by hand. You're mixing small batches of cookies. And I thought, well, for this to be scalable, everything has to change. So the company that I bought and the company today, the only similarity is the name. Mm -hmm. Logos, branding, colors, every recipe, the entire business model is different. And I thought I want to make this opposite of what I turned down, which was an opportunity to pay four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars to buy your own job. And I thought, well, can we make it simple enough that you don't have to live in the bakery to be able to operate it? So what are the pain points and identifying those pain points? And it mainly comes down to inventory, ordering ingredients, dealing with waste. So we centralized all of that. All of our production is done in one facility. So you get huge discounts on flour, sugar, butter. You mix thousands of cookies at a time with a professional baker rather than a teenager. You portion everything with machines rather than doing it by hand. You get increased accuracy, quality control. Then you ship that out to your franchisees. Now your franchisees can open up a store for 
50% of the cost, 30% of the cost. They don't need all of the labor. They don't need all of the overhead. They don't deal with all of the ways to get the lower cost of goods. So it was a lot more to, I guess, you know, bite off as a franchisor, but it's allowed mm -hmm. us to advertise what I feel like we're the most simplistic food franchise model right now. I think that's the primary reason. The secondary reason is nobody wants to buy a franchise from Bennett, right? I don't know what I'm doing, but I went and got a really good board of advisors. Uh, didn't have to pay them. You do a, a, some equity over a, a vesting period sure. and then got an amazing CEO that's been in food and franchising for 40 years. Her first company was, it was called Maui Wowie Smoothies and Coffee. She sold it after opening 700 plus locations. And wow. I think it was kind of simple model and getting the right team in place. And then people trusted those two things. That makes sense. Infrastructure really matters as well as simplicity. And so you have mastered both of those, it sounds like. So you already talked about your mission statement about to find joy and fulfillment despite life's dirtiness for ourselves and others, which is pretty cool. But then you also say, we are a brand with a message for all. It's what's inside that counts. Can you talk about that just for a minute? Yeah. So I was in the store early on, an employee, sorry, a customer came in and asked the employee that was working the counter, why is this called dirty dough? And the truth is because it just sounded cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. this employee didn't know that. She said, dirty dough is because the dirt the dough is dirty because we have so many mix-ins in the cookie. And I was like, oh, that's a big differentiator from the competition. This was very early on. Mm -hmm. So I said, Let's do all of our, let's, how many chocolate chips are we putting in there? Let's increase it by 50%. You know, let's focus on the inside of the cookie. Then we found these specialized machines that will make two layer cookies and stuffed cookies and three layer cookies. So it's a peanut butter cookie on the outside, a chocolate dough in the middle with a hot fudge center. So oh my on the goodness. Outside, it just looks like a chocolate cookie, right? Or a peanut butter cookie, whatever it is. But when you break it up, that is where all the goodness is. So I'm like, that's the message that I'm, trying to live by personally. And what I think is causing the mental health crisis more than anything else is this expectations versus reality and mm. social media distorting that. Mm. So let's bring expectations back down to normal. You don't need to look perfect on Instagram. You don't have to have a perfect looking cookie for it to be wildly delicious. So mm. all of our cookies, we just focus on the inside of it. And then that's the messaging. Um, there's a lot of messaging on all of our packaging, on the windows, you know, in touch with our feelings, where we care about your feelings. It's what's on the inside that matters. Um, you know, life gets messy and that's okay, perfectly imperfect. But that's what I'm trying to represent with my life and with the brand. And that again ties into the the mental health and the uh life is sweet charity yeah. that we were doing. Yeah. Ah, oh, that is that is pretty cool. So what's your favorite cookie? Um one of the cookies, actually, I just I just tried for the first time because it's out right now. I don't get to try all cookies before they go out. It's the better than anything cookie. So it's the the, the G-rated better than sex cookie. <laughs> oh, gotcha. What is it? I think that's one of my favorite ones. Describe it to us. Uh, it's like a, like a, the better than sex cake, you know, the chocolate with uh, some whipped cream, some uh, sweet and condensed milk and Heath, the oh, Heath candy goodness. bar. It's, it's really good. Oh my goodness. It sounds, it sounds crazy good. So let's talk a little bit about the franchise model and, and what you've done with that. So I had a chance to read through your FDD, which is always interesting. I have just a couple of questions there. Besides offering a brick and mortar franchise, you also have a mobile franchise offering. Can you tell us about that and maybe how many takers you've had on that? Yeah, we're just starting to push it and we're going to push it a lot just next week because we have six in operation today and these six 
I mean, we, we, we will have a one event do more revenue than a store does in a week. Wow. And so, because you, you, the customer, you're going to where the customers are. Correct. So the sales are a lot higher. Now the economy year over year, quick service restaurants are down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's causing some hesitation with, you know, d- different, do I want to hold off? Do I want to buy something? Do I want to get a franchise? Well, the risk there is, well, what do I do if, with, if, if things continue to go down and, and then it comes down to what's my break-even point, which I think we're doing really well with operating out of less than a thousand square feet. You only need one employee to run the store, but to take it further, well, if you only have a trailer or a food truck, mm-hmm. you don't have a lease payment anymore. And then when you're selling at an event, rather than $4 a cookie, you sell it for five or six. So your margins are higher, your labor's less, um, and there's less risk involved. So yeah, we 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 started offering that. Uh, now we have six in operation. We have maybe another ten being built, and then we're going to our franchisees next week. All of the ones, which is pretty much all of them, we've sold three hundred and seventy ish franchises. Wow. Um, we're we're going back to all of them who've bought more than one and say, hey, do you want to trade in, you know, location number four for a mobile? So rather than taking four years to develop four territories, you could buy a mobile franchise and be operating in less than three months with great revenues. And then it helps us obviously, because we get royalties. <laughs> so, right. and it helps them because they have cash flow, and then it works really well for cross branding. Number one question these mobile trailers get is where are you located? So mm-hmm. it really favors the, I'm at the carnival. I got exposed to the brand for the first time. I love the cookie. Where do I go tomorrow when the carnival's not here? I have to go to the store. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? I think it's a brilliant strategy. Because you, like you said, you can go where the customer is. Yep. So that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any takers on that from your current franchisees? So, so we have six already in operation, yep. six franchises, and then another ten under construction. And we just started. May what what we're doing um, is getting the financials from these these six that have been running events this month. Gotcha. And then we're going to share, you know, some top line revenues, things like that, with our current franchisees because they're current. We don't have to stick with all the guidelines of. Uh, FDD. Well, maybe right. I should check that. Maybe I should ask you, do I? <laughs> that, that's well, me. I have all these ideas and I, I say them and I plan on them before I even talk to my attorney. Yes. I'm not an attorney, but I believe that once they say you have read the FD, FDD and signed a contract, it, you're fine, but that I'm not an attorney. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to have to check on that, but um, yes. I, I think it'll go really well. And yeah. either way, we're just training the sales team to offer these more because nobody's it's hard to sell something when there weren't any in operation, That's but right. now we have them in operation. So now they believe in it and it's a lot quicker turnaround time. I think it's an easier sell for them. And then I think it's a better business model for the franchisee. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you're right there. So I also noticed that you have a minimum sales requirement. Why is that? Most of what is in the franchise disclosure document is template from the law firm that you use. And then you kind of just go back and forth with numbers yeah. This was before I hired a CEO and it, she is. And so I'm talking with uh, the attorney and what do you want your minimum to be? Why do I have to have a minimum? Well, if they're not doing a minimum, that means they're not, they're probably not working. It's not worth keeping the store open anyway. So you just have to reserve these rights. And I say, Hey, what do you recommend? And what do I think? And you kind of just meet somewhere in the middle, but yeah, I, I mean, I can't even remember that was two years ago, why we came to that number. Um, no. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I just found that to be interesting. Not everyone has it, but some do. So I always like to ask about that. Well, let me ask you this. What qualities are you looking for 
in a franchisee of your brand? A perfect franchisee is someone with food franchise experience, multi-location. That's what we want, that they've done this with other brands. And frankly, those are the best ones to deal with and they're the best ones to that they're easiest to sign up per se. You get somebody that invests in real estate or solar or something like that. And, you know, because I did make that mistake selling whoever kind of at the beginning, right? Um, and then it's like, no, we have to have all of these standards and this and that. Um, well, you explain the model to somebody who's in the solar business. It's like, oh, cool. That sounds cool. You explain the model to somebody who owns a Jimmy John's that has to bake their bread fresh every single day. They throw away their bread. They have how many different vegetables that have to be fresh and ordered on time. And they have how many SKU items. And you can explain this to them. And you're like, wait, all cookies are baked directly from frozen. It's the same time temperature and fan speed for every single cookie. And I need one employee to run it. And I get to use my leftover cookies the next day and repurpose them in a cookie shake. Like, yeah, sign me up. You know, they, they appreciate the model a little bit more. I can understand that. Wait a minute. Did you say a cookie shake? We do. We we, we do cookie shakes and a, what we call a dirty scoop. So it's a warm cookie in a bowl with ice cream and then some toppings, same toppings that we put on the cookie. And it was just developed. A, I just wanted a way to reduce waste. So oh what gosh. can we do with our day old cookies? And they're still delicious. I mean, it's well, not they're, like they're, they're not delicious. So no, I mean, cookies have a shelf life. Yeah easily seven days, but you don't want to go into a bakery and pay $4 for a day old cookie. Right. Um, knowing it's a day old cookie, if it's a shake, nobody seems to mind because uh, if anybody's followed anything that I do, they, they know the business model. They know it's a day yeah. old cookie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they really don't care once you put anything with ice cream, it's all good. So there is that. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you said you're looking at 300 franchises open. What is your ultimate goal, Bennett? Um, A thousand is a nice even Mark, uh, you get a thousand of these suckers open in, in five years. Um, that would be, that would be awesome. And then with, but the bigger thing to that is, you know, what does that mean though? To me, a thousand open stores is probably 300 franchisees mm -hmm. that we can empower with, um, added income streams and right. looking at the companies that a lot of the companies that we modeled this out of the decentralized production model, great American cookie company does this and Mrs. Fields. Both of them have been around since 1977, 46 years. Mm -hmm. Jill's company, our CEO, Maui Wawi, was founded 40 years ago. She still has franchisees in her system for 40 years, mm -hmm. which is amazing. I'm like, that's really cool. That's Now you're creating generational wealth for Correct. families because nobody's going to run it for 40 years. That goes to their kids, right? right? Um, so that's a big part of it. And then what good can we do in the world if we have a thousand wellness centers right. up and running, educating, you know, 10 to 30 students every single day on, on emotions and mental health and how to regulate those. And that's where my, yeah, thousands of stores, I think we can make a big, big difference there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk just a couple of minutes about what's been in the news with Dirty Dough and that's the lawsuit. So Crumble Cookies sued you and another brand Crave claiming trade dress infringement, basically violating their intellectual property rights. So they claim that your cookies and your packaging are just too similar. And you fought back with some incredible satirical YouTube videos and even some billboards. Would you mind talking a little bit about this? What you can? Yes. Yes. Um, so this was back in May, 2022. We didn't even open a franchise yet and we're getting sued and Crumple's doing, it was a billion dollar revenue company. 
Like, come on, guys. But you get the lawsuit and you're like, oh, shoot, well, I'm going out of business. You know, you can't. And then you read the lawsuit and you're like, what? You're, and it's like side-by-side pictures of their cookie with sprinkles and our cookie with sprinkles and their cookie with fruity pebbles on it and our cookie with fruity pebbles on it and their vanilla ice cream in a black crumble cup and our vanilla ice cream in an orange dirty dough cup. And it's just like, okay, this is nothing. This is just a roadblock. Um, and it was just very silly. So me being maybe uh, silly, <laughs> we, we put up some billboards saying dirty dough coming soon. We're both headquarters in the same Utah Valley. The next month, Crumble being here for five years, they never put up a billboard. As soon as we put up a few billboards, they put 50 billboards up. Oh my gosh. And 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 then so the lawsuit happened. So they're like, okay, we're going to respond with this billboard. So we did some billboards that said, uh, cookies so good, we're being sued. And we don't crumble with competition and just some <laughs> other remarks. <laughs> yes. Um, like that the cookie's so good. And this is, you know, Utah Valley, a lot of uh, very religious people. And so we put a, a picture of a cookie that's like blurred out and the word censored over it with the oh cookie so good we're being sued as if it was like a, you know, X-rated image. Oh um, just having fun with it. Yeah. And then posted that on social media and I tagged Crumble, you know, I'm like, I love your billboards. What do you think of mine? Oh my gosh. Uh, and, and people liked that. They thought it was funny. Um, yeah. Anyways. And then we made some, some videos detailing every point of the lawsuit. Cause I was like, no, 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 we're not hiding behind any of this. This lawsuit is bullshit. And I'm going to explain it all in a funny way. So every single point that they had, um, or almost every point we put in videos, uh, satire videos. And then I did do a LinkedIn a social media kind of campaign on here, are the 13 points of the lawsuit. I'm going to tell you why all of them are stupid, broken down in detail with evidence. And people followed that. And that got us on some good news channels, some national yeah. news channels. And and then it sold us hundreds of franchises. So it, it definitely went our way. Isn't that something? I know I saw one of the videos where you were talking about the sprinkles, you know, oh, and the sprinkles are proprietary. It was just so funny. Yeah. And then I actually saw another one where you were you were portraying the other side and you were trying to shut down a some kids that were selling their grandma's cookies. And that was pretty funny too. So um, I have to admit, I was pretty impressed with that because you obviously are moving forward, Bennett. And that's that's exactly what a strong franchisor should do. Yes. So well Trying done. Well done. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, I think about, gosh, look at your career and, you're, and you told us that you were 30 years old. You've done so much already. What are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of when I sold the solar company, that I was able to go through that mental health journey of my own mm -hmm. and really determining what's important to me. Because I think what happens in the entrepreneur world is I'm going to be happy when. Right. And then that when, it's when I have my first company, when I sell my first company, when I have my first passive income, when I have my first million dollars, when I, and every time you achieve it, you get a great dopamine hit. And that goes away in a, a matter of hours, minutes, days, weeks, it doesn't matter. It goes away. And then you immediately set the next goal. And I think that a lot of us, myself included, always falling back into it. You don't ever take a moment to be present and to, to enjoy life. And then you get to 50 years old or whatever. And you're like, crap, why did I miss my kids' soccer games and things like that? So now looking back at it, um, again, my oldest is six. So I kind of snapped out of it when my oldest was only four. And I had kind of an example that happened maybe two months ago. 
going to Las Vegas. We're talking with the Allegiant Stadium, Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play to become their official cookie. We had all the tours set up. A, a guy that owns like 120 KFC franchises, um, a few kind of celebrity type. I had six meetings set up, flights booked, everything. Yeah. And then I see on my calendar, uh, Mia's kindergarten graduation. You know, she's six years old. And so I didn't really think of it. And I'm just like, oh crap, sorry. Like, I'm not going to be able to make it. Let's go on a date before. Let's go on a date after. What do you want to do? And uh, my daughter was fine with it, you know? And my wife told me later that night, she goes, she's only going to graduate once. Right. And that's all I really needed to hear. I'm like, yeah, what's the point of all of this? So I texted everybody and I literally said, I'm sorry, it's my daughter's kindergarten graduation. I'm going to have to reschedule. And nobody cared. But that is a moment that I'm like, I'm going to do that 10 out of 10 times. I'm going to go to the soccer games 10 out of 10 times. Doesn't matter who the investor is or the potential deal. None of that even matters if I don't have a relationship with my family. So being able to realize that, yeah, definitely the, the most proud moment. That should be. That should be. And my last question for you is, you said when you started franchising, you didn't even know what a franchisee was compared to a franchisor. What do you wish you had known before you started that journey? Um, Everything. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, What do I wish I would have known? One of the things I'm doing right now, like I just got off the phone with the founder of Great American Cookie Company mm-hmm. yesterday, and he kind of told me the same thing. He's like, this is the experience with my first 10 franchisees. And the the pattern seems after talking with a lot of other franchisors is you're so desperate is probably actually an accurate word just to get your first franchises that you don't do it correctly. Um, now, if I went back, could I have done it any other way? I don't think so because you're not going to get the best franchisee, your first franchise anyway, but that is something I wish I was more careful with. I also was warned time and time again, grow slow, grow slow. You're going way too fast, but I'm just like, my model thrives off of rapid growth because every time I open up another store, my cost goes down and I pass those savings on to franchisees. But still, if I was going back, selling 375 franchises in under two years and opening up 34, I know you said 33, we're at 34 now, Oh, good. 14 months. That was, that was a little crazy. I wish I would have gone a little bit, a little bit slower, I guess. I don't see you doing anything slow. Just saying, it has been wonderful talking with you, Bennett. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was, it was great being on. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.